Friday was a special day for us, for Myra and me. We had been walking with a new immigrant couple in Calgary for about four years. Uh, one of our workers was in a creative access nation and had connected with them and had walked with them for a short time there. Then they told somebody in Ontario that if there was anybody they knew in Calgary that could meet the airport, be at the airport to meet this family, that would be nice. Myra met this family at the airport. And so that was the beginning of a relationship with a new immigrant family that had come in. Uh, they, Myra helped arrange lodging, uh, worked with him on Kijiji to find a car, and he was able to buy that and helped show how you do insurance here and get things registered. So all of those little things. Then they were at our place one evening and we were talking about jobs. Well, he says, I need a job. So I knew that my neighbor across the street worked for Canada Post, so he and I went over. It was the summer, we talked there on the street and are, is Canada Post hiring? Yeah, we're hiring all the time. So okay, within a short time he had a job. Uh, she was able to quickly enroll in an MBA program at the U of C and graduated and now works with Alberta Health. But Friday, they became Canadian citizens. So we were in this uh, government building in downtown Calgary, and there were 90 people from 20 nations becoming Canadian citizens. It was a very joyous time. For us, it was especially joyful because we've walked with them these years. We really love them. We are in each other's homes uh, probably monthly, and just we are doing work, we're just work journeying together. They're from a different religion than what I'm from, but they, we just enjoy being with them and doing life with them. So that's what God's calling is for us these days when we are not in Africa. We did that part, so now we're in a different chapter, and this is one of the things we get to do is walk with new people. But I say that just to sort of introduce the topic where I want to go today. So I have a question for you. When is the Lord coming back? So we know his first coming was at Christmas. We annually celebrate that. But then he said he'd come again. So there's a few clues along the way as you read your Bible to try to figure out when might that be. So the founder of our long name, the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Canada, Dr. Albert Simpson, he was born in Prince Edward Island, and one of his favorite verses became kind of a motivator for him as he would think about the return of the Lord. It was this verse here, Matthew 24, 14. In this gospel of the kingdom, we preached the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So that's one of several verses, but that was one that he used to take and kind of repeat and say, well, when will the Lord come back? Well, when the nations have heard the reason for my first coming. And they've heard about the death and resurrection of Jesus. They've heard about salvation. They've come into a relationship with him. That was the purpose for my coming. And when the nations of the world have heard about that, then it's like the purpose has been accomplished. Then I can come back. So I don't think the Lord will come back in 2019 or maybe 2020 because there's a problem. Here's the problem. <clears throat> 
we keep sending missionaries to places where the gospel has already been preached. And much of our resourcing, human financial prayer, is going to reached areas and not sufficient to unreached areas. And if we were going to divide the people groups, you can kind of see there that there's roughly 7,000 nations that don't yet know about Jesus. They've never heard the story of his death and resurrection, that he came to save sinners. Nobody's explained the gospel in their language. Nobody's taken the time to learn their language and their culture. When we use the word nation, of course, we're not talking about countries. Countries are geographical boundaries, political entities. Nations are people groups. They have a common language and culture. So you could have one big country like Nigeria with 70 million people, but if there are many nations inside that country. So that's how we do these numbers of 6,900. So that's what yet has to be done. So that's the task before us. When will Jesus come back? Well, it's like he's given a job to the church. And when we finished our homework, then he can say, well done, you've done what I gave you to do. He could have chosen angels to do all of that, but he didn't. He gave it to us as the church. That was part of the Great Commission, um, which I read here in this version. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So there was a commission giving. We call it the Great Commission. So if you move along here to try to say, well then, what is this people group? And you use the word UPG. What's a UPG? What's an unreached people group? Well, roughly, we sort of say that a UPG is a group of people that do not have a viable church. By viable church, I mean there's not a strong enough group of believers or a community of faith strong enough to evangelize the rest of the unsaved around them. That's an unreached people group. If a group has a church, has a number of believers, has a community of faith strong enough with their own resources to evangelize everybody else, that's a reached area. Is Grand Prairie a reached area? Yes. Because we could say there's a sufficient community of faith, Christians, in this city, strong enough with their own resources to evangelize the rest of the unsaved in Grand Prairie. We don't have to go over here somewhere and preach and say, please send missionaries to Grand Prairie. The gospel is here. There's a viable church. So those, that's the vocabulary we use for these two things when we're talking about what's a UPG. It doesn't have a viable church. Someone from the outside has to go in, learn language and culture in order to present the gospel. <clears throat> so roughly we say then, here's the 6900s that are unreached. Where are they? And then we just say they're here and there. So there would be some from unreached people groups that are showing up in Alberta. They're showing up in Canada as we talk about our welcoming nature. We have people that come here. Some of them are way over there, but some of them are very close to us, like the family that I just finished talking about. But how do I def define mission? So here's an example then of a, of a definition that I like to use. <clears throat> 
I don't say everything is mission. I don't say we're all missionaries. I like this definition which says, to be on mission has two parts. First, Christian mission is the church crossing frontiers. There must be some crossing of barriers, whether those be linguistic, economic, cultural, or religious. That's number one. And number two, there must be some communication of the message of Christ. So first, there's a crossing of a barrier, and that can be done over there, but it could be done here. When somebody moves into this country or onto your street that doesn't really speak your language, there's something about crossing that barrier linguistically or culturally and then communicating the gospel. That's being on mission in Grand Prairie, as well as when we send somebody like Colette Baudet to Guinea, and then she does that there. She learns that language and culture and communicates faith. So that's the definition. So as we think of disciples, I think that part of the job of the church, which we agree, is discipling people. People come into faith in Christ. They understand the gospel. And they're matured. They're learning about the Christian life. So that would say that a mature disciple is one who understands his role of being on mission with God in his mission. It's like, why did I become a Christian? Well, God drew me into his family. And I should just do a little aside here. I came to Christ at a camp when I was 10 years old. I'm very much a for-camp kind of person. And I spent many of my university days working at camp. So go camps and go you to get into these camps. Um, but that set me on a trajectory that I have been on all my life. But I came to Christ and you came to Christ because God also wants you on mission with him. It's to understand what is his mission. So in the job that you have in Grand Prairie, how do you join God in his desire for you to help him reach the nations, whether here or there? And so that becomes kind of that first point. She understands what God's mission on earth is about. She understands that she has come into the kingdom to join God in his mission. So disciples, mature disciples in Grand Prairie do this. They connect and engage with the nations locally. So who has God brought towards you, either in your job, in your school, on your street? Your job as a Christian is to engage with that person. They pray regularly for people's not yet in Christ. There's those unreached people groups, and you can get an app on your phone from joshuaproject.net which shows us every day which nation to pray for. And so we just join people around the world doing that, joshuaproject.net. They participate in sending workers towards the nations that don't have a faith community. They may relocate, whether in Canada or outside of Canada, in order to better engage the nations. I know a guy in Cochrane who moved to Montreal to do the same kind of work that he was doing in Cochrane, Alberta, that he could do in Montreal, Quebec, because he wanted to reach more people or touch more nations. So he did that for a time. They practice hospitality by inviting new Canadians for a meal. Um, there's much in the New Testament, isn't there, about practicing hospitality. I'm not sure that we do it all that well. I read a book three years ago, Thinking Outside the Window, and it's written by uh, Dr. Yao Purby, who is the executive director of International Students Ministries. In it, he kind of challenges the church to engage with foreign students. I think he says something like 200,000 foreign students come into Canada. Canada is near the top of preferred places, countries to go 
to, for university students. Uh, it's a peaceful country. Uh, we're friendly towards immigrants. And so they come here. And his challenge in the book is that and he's kind of hitting us with this idea that you guys in the church, you raise like millions of dollars to send workers around the world and many into the 1040 window, which we talk about the 1040 window, to reach people there, the unreached, the UPGs that are there. But do you realize that someone from every one of those countries is in your local university in Canada? And they're here for three or four years. But there's just a high percentage, I forget the numbers now, it's way up like 70 to 80% of foreign students that are in Canada never get invited into a local family's home. They never get invited into a Canadian home. And so he's pushing us and challenging us that that is something we can do. Because someone who may encounter Christ in Canada will go back to where he comes from, unlike refugees and immigrants. They're here on a student visa. And if they would find Christ here in your home, they then take that gospel back with them to where they've come from. And besides, they're also an educated elite that then moves into high-paying positions and influential positions in their country. So it's this challenge of we need to get moving in doing more with foreign students that are here. So that's part of the challenge I'm putting out there for us as we move forward here. Um, Genesis 12. So I was just thinking with this. I don't often get annoyed, but when I do get annoyed, it's when I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see hashtag blessed. And like, no, that's not a hashtag. You can't use that. That's like half a hashtag. Because haven't you read Genesis 12? Like, what is it saying? It's saying, you have been blessed so that you will be a blessing. So if you're just using hashtag blessed, then I'm thinking about you like this. Here's this funnel and you're sort of pinching the bottom of it. You've sort of got your thumb and your finger there because all you're doing is just counting all these blessings. Oh, God, you're so wonderful. Thank you for all the blessings. You can't do that. That's not what it's supposed to be. The idea of a funnel is it goes in the top and it goes out to touch someone, to bless someone. That's the whole point of that verse. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. So don't do that because it annoys me. Now... What should it be? <laughs> um, here's a good hashtag. Hashtag being blessed or being a blessing. So if I, was, if I was in school, I am a teacher, that's what I do. But if I was in school, I would say, here's a sheet of paper. Could you make a list of all the ways that you've been blessed? Second piece of paper. Write down a list of how you are being a blessing. So if we look back this past week or this past month, how have you been a blessing to other people the nations, with all of your blessings? Or is it just all about you? You've got the bottom of the funnel shut. So this would be the kind of thing. So when I was thinking, I was down in uh, London, Ontario, when my daughter was for a while, and I was walking around, come up against a Goodwill, Goodwill store, and I see on the wall, they have kind of their purpose or mission statement, which was building our community by providing work. So, okay, I thought, well, I should go in and take a little look at this. So when I walked into the Goodwill store, where here was somebody showing another, and it looked to me like a person from another country who had just arrived, how to stock shelves in this Goodwill store. 
Over here on this side, there was somebody teaching a couple of people at the till how to work the till, and as people were checking out, then what to do there. So every one of the new people that were being taught something, they were receiving a bit of a salary. They were feeding a family of five or six people. So a mission statement. A friend just stepping into retirement starts volunteering with her Alpha course because with her Alpha course, she's touching new immigrants. A church that sponsors a refugee family, they're being a blessing. And then this tweet, which I saw kind of hit me in a good way. I challenge every member of the Alliance family to join me in making a goal this year to befriend someone of a different racial, ethnic, cultural, and or political background than our own. So at the end of this year, I want to pray that tweet for you. Could you do that in 2019? We're two months in. We've got 10 months left. Could you put out as a goal for you to connect and engage with someone who's different than you in your school, in your workplace, or maybe you're just noticing someone moved onto our street that's very different than me ethnically or culturally. That would be your goal. Now, <clears throat> when I, I've given kind of the idea of what mission is, this idea of crossing a barrier and communicating the gospel, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. There's a lot of stuff we do that's good works and charity, and I think we should. We, we talk about the good fruits. And so these would be some, as I look at this thing here. Is everything mission? Well, no, not everything is mission. Some things are just, if I mow my neighbor's lawn, that's a kindness and a charity. So if I'm out handing sandwiches to the homeless at a local shelter, that, that's good works. We should all do that. But I don't call that mission because unless we're crossing some barrier there or communicating the gospel, that's not mission. It's a good works. It's a thing we should do. If we're packing shoeboxes for children far away, that's good works. If we're visiting countries for an experience of another culture and language and taking pictures with smiling, impoverished children, I call that tourism. If we're sending used clothes and red shoes to foreign destinations, for me, that's bad works. Do you ever stop and think about that? There's an economy already there. Now suddenly we ship all these bags of new shoes to give out for free. Well, there's already a shoe salesman there and a shoe repair person. And suddenly, all these free things come in. You've just put him out of business. And tomorrow, his kids go hungry. Like, why are we doing that? Sending clothes, bad works. Digging wells for clean water in foreign countries, but don't announce the message. Uh, Non-Christians do that, those good works, charity. If we're doing it, there should be a clear understanding of who we are, why we're doing this, and how God compels us to help in many ways. So there's a lot of things that don't fit, in my mind, under the category of mission, uh, which are good things we should keep doing. But let's not confuse that with what is the gospel and how do we go on mission to bring it to people that have never heard of Jesus. <clears throat> so being on mission here and there means really having some intention, okay, I'm going to do this, intention to develop relationship with someone different than us, that's the crossing barrier part, and that takes time and effort. 
with the family that I just mentioned at the beginning, that's, we're on a four-year journey, and we're not even finished yet. We will continue to walk with them. The intention of the relationship is to communicate the message of God's love. Mission is being carried out in Canada when someone from the nations moves in next door to me, starts work at my office, and I engage with them. It's also being done when Canadians go to the nations in other parts of the world, because not everybody's moving here. There's still loads of people over there, and they learn that language and culture and enter in. So as the Christian and Missionary Alliance, there's missionary, which is like our second name in our family of about 400 churches across the country. We're involved with sending out about 200 workers. So we have Alliance missionaries in about 50 countries of the world. And about a third of them come from Alberta. We have a good number that come from here. Uh, the whole piece there about the Global Advance Fund video, that's what we do. And so that Global Advance, video, uh, Global Advance Fund uh, provides food and rent and travel for all Alliance missionaries. So there's about 200 that come out of that Global Advance Fund. So this would be the place for me to say thank you. Uh, many of you, I know, have given years and years if you've been part of an Alliance church for a long time, to the Global Advance Fund. For the 26 years that Myra and I lived in Africa, we lived off of the Global Advance Fund. That put bananas on our table every morning and oatmeal and all the rest. Paid our rent, so forth. So the 200 workers we have out there, they depend on this Global Advance Fund. So we, we do that. So this morning, like you, in all of the 400 churches in Canada, people donate and make donations to the Global Advance Fund. And as we think of about 15 new workers that we have that we want to send out in the next year, uh, that all happens because the Global Advance Fund has the funds that keep coming in uh, week by week and month by month. So that's who we are. Now, um, what's our purpose? So if you would ask, well then, okay, what are we about? Well, our purpose is to develop indigenous churches, like a movement of indigenous churches among least-reached people groups. So there's again the word least-reached people. So that's what we roughly say. If we're looking at a people group, we would say, well, there's less than 2% evangelical. That's kind of the measuring stick. So if somebody came up to me and said, oh, I think God wants me to go as a missionary to Hawaii, okay, I'd stop and think about that. Then I would want to ask in my mind, is there more than 2% evangelical Christians in Hawaii? Yes. There's a church on every corner. Yes. Oh, then I don't think God is really sending you there. You could just go there and get a job and live, but don't call that mission. So when we talk about going towards least-reached people groups, it's where there's a need. There's an unreached people group, less than 2% evangelical. We try to put into the DNA of the churches we establish that your job is to multiply. So we have many churches now. So I've, I mentioned the one that we were in, and we were there at the tail end of it, was the Congo. So in the Congo today, there are more people in Congo Alliance churches attending worship this weekend than in all of the Alliance churches in Canada. It's just that big. It's grown. And the same could be said about Vietnam, the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, Ivory Coast. So the idea of putting into the DNA of a church from the beginning is that you need to multiply. So humans multiply, animals multiply, churches multiply. It's in the DNA. So that's what we establish in that purpose statement. <clears throat> then the other word that's up there is indigenous. What does indigenous mean? Indigenous means appropriate to the culture. 
appropriate to the culture. So when we go into a new place to start a church, we don't take, say, the blueprints of you know, lovely building, Grand Prairie Alliance, and say, let's build this kind of building over here. That, that would be inappropriate. When we teach worship, we don't say, well, let's take songs that we often sing. We sang, um, say, a Hill song or a Reading song or a Brian Dirksen song, I think we sang this morning. And let's just translate those, and that's how we worship. No, that'd be inappropriate. What is appropriate was I was in North Africa one time, and they were telling me, visiting some of the communities of faith that I found, and they talked about the daughter of an imam who came to Christ. She was very musical, and she knew how to write poetry. And so as soon as she found Jesus and came into his family, she began writing words of praise to God. And then those were put into music, and, and the music, and the, the, I gave me a disc of it. It's very foreign to my ear, but it was appropriate to the music of that area. And so as soon as those were recorded, they passed them out, and people just learned them in all of the house churches. So that was worship music appropriate to the culture. And then it's the same way in every other way you do church. I was visiting a church in uh, Niamey, Niger, and... Um, I've just learned how to be observant. Well, how do people worship here? Well, I noticed that as they came to the door, all the shoes are here. Oh, okay. Well, I can figure this out. Everybody takes their shoes off. So I took their shoes off and walked onto these mats. Then I noticed that men are on one side, women are on the other side. And then I noticed how kind of leaders were sitting up in a semicircle at the front. That was their way of worship. We sit all mixed up and with children and both genders and so forth. Um, there, it's that way. So. Everything, whatever it is, it's appropriate to the culture, then that's the word indigenous. So that's kind of the thing there, to glorify God by developing indigenous movements of reproducing churches amongst least-reached people. And so as we send workers from Grand Prairie, Alberta, they learn then, how do I fit into this culture, learn this language, and then do things appropriately, and then move forward. So we just talk about uh, the 5S venture, and we just have general areas where we say this is where we place our workers. And then this, I just will leave here a little bit. Um, this is where we're heading now. This is what we're doing now. So we need more people. If God would lay on your heart to join us in the Alliance in what we're doing globally, these are where we're building teams. We don't send anybody out to work on their own. They're usually working with a team. There's already a team leader in some of these places. So some of these have already gone. We had a great commissioning service in January for uh, Brian and Jessica Mitchell. So uh, they're moving towards an unreached people group, which is called the Yazidi, and they live in northern Iraq. We're trying to build that team there. Caitlin Cobb, who's listed here, she will leave this summer to join that team. And then these are some of the other places we're going. The way into Alliance missions would be just there's some brochures on a back table, but basically uh, envisioncanada.org is how you get in, and there sort of shows the ways to do that, and I'm happy to talk further about that. All these workers are able to leave immediately without fundraising because the Global Advance Fund pays their costs. So the Mitchells there, the Yazidi, they left right at the end of January, fully funded, rent, and they can get going. So again, that's just thanks to you and to this system of the Global Advance Fund. So this is where we end. <clears throat> when will the Lord come back? Man, there's so much to do yet. So I don't think it'll be 2019, maybe not 2020, but there's work to do. 
And so I want to invite you into that with my closing prayer here. And my closing prayer will be down the direction of that tweet. Who is the person that God is going to bring to your mind, either now as I pray or in the weeks ahead, of somebody that's different than you, with whom you could engage in a relationship? And it may start out simply as, hey, we need to have coffee sometime. I'd like to hear more about where you're from. That would be a simple introductory, either to another student or someone that's moved on to your street or someone in your office. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have of thinking about what's close to your heart. And the nations are very close to your heart. And so as we are planted here at this time in Grand Prairie and surrounding areas, I pray that you would show us with whom we could engage in 2019. That person may not have yet arrived here, so Lord, keep us alert to see who is arriving during 2019. That might be the person with whom we would develop a relationship and introduce them to the kingdom of Christ. And so we pray that as we also, on one hand, send people to nations far away that are yet unreached, and I pray that if there's some in this auditorium today that would hear your call to move towards the Yazidi or the Wolof in Senegal or the Rohingya in Malaysia, that you would call them and make that firm in their hearts today and to pursue that calling. For many others of us who are living here, we pray that we too would engage with the nations so that the Lord would return. We pray this in your name. Amen.